Welcome back to Ride On. I'm James Gross, and I'm joined by Melvin Lian, the uh, founder and CEO of Voro Motors. Welcome, Melvin. How are you doing today? Good. James, thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're, we're glad to have you. So, uh, Melvin's in Los Angeles right now, but Melvin's story uh, traverses many time zones. Uh, Voro Motors is a company we've we've had our eye on for a long time uh, here in Ride On, and I'm glad to find you have a have you on the podcast, Melvin. Uh, to give you a background a little bit on Voro Motors, um, Voro Motors is one of the largest North American uh, electric scooter companies uh, around. They have their own line of vehicles, um, which are called the E-Move line of vehicles, which are really cool. This, I think what Melvin will get into in a little bit on terms of how they innovated on a seated scooter um, is really cool. As well, uh, of course, Melvin also is a distributor of both the Kaboo and the Dualtron scooters with um, that are sort of a high-end performance scooter line. That's really cool. Along with uh, the exclusive distributor of one of Emotion's uh, one-wheel scooters as well. Um, so we'll get into all that, but let's start, Melvin, with the, the founding story. So you weren't always in Los Angeles. You were born and raised in Singapore, and you actually started your company in 2017 in Singapore. Uh, why don't you give us a little bit of the lay of land? Why did you start in 2017? Why did you start in Singapore? And uh, yeah, what ended up happening to you in Singapore? Yeah, so I, I think Sing Singapore is like New York. Cars, driving a car is super troublesome finding a parking you know getting tickets so having having a uh, portable electric scooter makes so much sense right so i bought i bought one for myself to use and figure like hey i think others would want the same kind of freedom that i have without waiting for a bus waiting for a metro things of that those nature then we sell one at a time sell one by two sell two by four you know we grow one customer at a time and build up to a very decent retail store and a relatively good business in Singapore. As regulations hit us, it was, we the government in Singapore banned scooters overnight in 2019. So I decided to move the operations to LA where it's summer all year round. The ridership is increasing. So a bunch of... Um, Hard decisions have to be made at that year to give up everything. You know, I had a good life. Move to LA, start all over again. Amazing. Okay, so let's let's get into this a little bit, Melvin. So, 2017, you start Bore Motors in Singapore in what is hopefully a thriving uh, industry where you know cars are hard to drive around in that area. It's a perfect urban mobility solution. What were your first models in Singapore in 2017? Were you were you selling the Dualtron and Caboose, or were you selling the Move Live line at that time? So yeah, Car Carbo and Duotron were not in my portfolio at the time. So the E-Move line is mostly in my portfolio. Things that are below 25 pounds, those are the categories that we go after. Easy to use, portable, you know, throw in your car kind of electric scooters. Okay. And then, so you, you kind of faced the, like the most nightmare story for all founders out there in the, in the micro mobility space, the Singapore government comes to you shuts your doors down, I think with like very little notice and you're, you're, you're effectively kicked out. There's no scooters anymore allowed in Singapore. I guess the first question there is like, did you, did you see it coming at all? Was there any sense that like, Hey, scooters would be banned, um, from all of Singapore or were you like truly kind of shocked by that, by that message from the government? Yeah. So I didn't see it coming. I think no one see it coming because it was an overnight ban. 
but we can see the doors are closing down on us and the walls are closing down on us as more and more regulations start to come in. And we can see that, okay, what else can scooters innovate to get even lighter and pack more range into it, right? So we can definitely feel that the government is on our backs every single day leading up to the ban. So it is probably the worst experience any micro-mobility founder would have to face. This is the worst one that you get banned overnight. You know, everyone went out of business that same week. Okay. Wow. Uh, totally. And so um, let's let's speak about some of the things that like were leading up to it. So it sounds like where were you allowed to ride scooters? How was that regulated? It sounds like I, you tell me, but it may be, you couldn't ride them in the road. You had to ride them on the sidewalk and then you had to ride them at a certain speed. Uh, for the audience, I'd just be curious to kind of step us through what the regulation framework started to look like before the ban went into place. Yeah. So it, there's three, three factors here. Um, the weight has to be under 25 kg. So that's about, um, how many pounds? Uh, 40 pounds, roughly 40 pounds. Yeah. So weight has to be 40 pounds. That was the first rule. Then six months later, it reduced to 30, 32 pounds. Wow. So the weight of the scooter is important. And second is the speed. You can only ride a maximum of 25 kilometers per hour. So 25 km per hour is about um, 30 miles per hour. So speed limitation out of the box. It has to be that speed. Then the width of the handlebars cannot be too wide. So that's a restriction. It has to be under a certain length. I can't remember off the top of my head. But the cruiser today, the e-move cruiser today has that right regulate, regulator handlebars. If it's too wide, you cannot buy it. Wow. And then, um, okay, so it was like weight. It sounds like twice they came after your weight of the vehicle and then they came after the handlebar and then the speed and then the handlebar width. Um, and then how about where you were allowed to ride it? Is it is it true you had to ride it on the sidewalk or you're supposed to ride in the street? Where were you supposed to ride this thing at, at 25 kilometers an hour? Yeah, so, so you can only ride on the sidewalk. You cannot ride under apartments. So any apartments that has open space, you cannot go under the apartments. You have to park outside of the apartment. Sorry, on the on the camp park under the apartments, is that, is that for fire concerns or what was the reason there? No, it's just that you do not crash into someone leaving the apartment. Okay, wow. Okay, I get it. Right. There's one rule that is also very important is that if you are crossing the crossing traffic light, you have to get off your scooter, push it across the light, then you can continue riding. Yeah. That's a terrible experience. <laughs> um, and yeah. I, I think one thing, you know, tell me, I, I haven't been there in a long time and I've only been there once, but I, you know, I, and I, but I've heard this for a lot of people that go there is like Singapore is a, a fairly intense car culture. Ultimately, there's a lot of, there's a lot of infrastructure for cars. Is there any sort of treatment of cars from a regulatory framework, like the scooters are treated or is that very, was it, did it seem like it was an unfair amount of regulation on scooters versus cars? Yeah, actually, there's a lot of laws surrounding cars too. So, regulations on cars. So, for example, a Honda Civic costs, I think, 25 grand in the US. And it will cost, the same Honda Civic, it will cost you 100 and, 130 grand out of the door in Singapore. Because there's this um, law that 
the government implemented. And it's actually all good, right? If you look at it from a holistic point of view, it reduced the amount of traffic. It's a great country in terms of trying to keep everybody in check. So they have this title that you have to buy and you have to bid for. There's only a certain amount of titles released every month. So the bidding is what caused the title to increase in cost of the car. And there's certain highway that has this um, toll. And almost every single highway has like two points of toll. You have to pay three bucks or four bucks to cross the toll. So during peak hours, it reduced the amount of traffic. Right. Okay. So you had congestion pricing. You have a, you have you have a lot of regulations in general in Singapore. Um, and again, in many ways, there's a lot of lot, a lot of positive externalities because of that. Um, so right. you get you get the ban. Like how how panicked are you when you get the ban? You immediately decide to move to Los Angeles. Were you thinking of moving to Los Angeles before that? What is what is that? What's going through your head? when the government comes out and says you, you can no longer operate scooter, you can no longer sell scooters in this country? Um, I think there's a lot of emotions when you first receive the news. But how how it was reacted is that six months ahead of time, we were already selling through e-commerce site. And we are getting a lot of traffic in the US. So we have some kind of business that can keep us sustainable, even with the ban. But... Um, I, I like the pressure. Like we, with these kind of situations, it helps you think deeply what you want to, what you're gonna do for the next five years. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So okay, I think it's very strategic that you realize that okay, so I can continue sustaining all the employees by opening up a sales channel, doubling down what I'm doing. So yep. move to LA after I think half a year of four months, COVID happened. So I thought, okay, I'm screwed. <laughs> Again. <laughs> right. You know, so. The gods are not looking down on you. Okay, so when you move to LA, what what models of scooters do you have when you first arrive in LA? We, we had the cruiser, the e-move really? cruiser, the one that goes 62 miles per, per in a single charge, the e-move touring, only these two models. And we have some of those seated models. Okay, uh, but you don't have any of the Dualtron or, or uh, Kabu uh, scooters at the time. Correct. We don't have any Dualtron and Kabu at the time. <laughs> okay, great. So, okay, then COVID happens. Clearly, you know, we we all experience that. When what's your next big move? Um, like, what are you what are you hearing from your customer base? Which again, I think there's a lot of really cool stories about how you work with your customer base. But when did you decide? Hey, we're going to actually distribute other scooters we're going to sell, you know, we're going to become a retail store on top of selling our own vehicles. But you guys, a little bit different than how a lot of people have handled it um, in, the, in the space. Like, how did, how did you get into uh, selling these dual motor scooters and, and and what made you get into it? Yeah, great question. So, the E-Move Cruiser and the E-Move Touring, the Cruiser and the Touring are both single motor electric scooter. Great products for what you are paying for and what you're getting. But there's a big segment of customers that we cannot serve because we just do not have those dual motor products. So they're emailing us every day, calling us, hey, if you guys carry this model, I want to I would rather buy from you and go to somewhere else. You know, if you guys have this particular model. So we see a lot of keywords keep reappearing. 
in all of our communication channels, then we know, okay, let's give it a try. You know, we started with one dual motor scooter called Mantis Pro SE. We, Mantis Pro SE is the first electric scooter, first dual motor electric scooter that came out with gold trims. So at that time, Carbo thinks that we are crazy to put gold color accents on the scooter. Uh, that's amazing. And so in what were those conversations like with Kaboom and Dualtron? Are they are they excited to work with you and partner with you and, and how do you sell through the channel? Or was that did that take some convincing or just curious what those conversations were like? No, actually, okay, so Carbo was introduced by a mutual friend. So uh, there's this company back in Singapore called Mobot. They're, they're still around. They are a bicycle company now. So they used to carry Carbo scooters. And what happened was that because of the ban, this Singapore company holds a lot of um, deposit inventory money in Carbo's factory. So to help him, he gave me a call saying that, hey, want to consider working with Carbo and I can get my deposit back. So it's a win-win situation. But not really a win for me. I was like blindfolded going into this. And how has it worked out? Like, how do you feel about selling Cabo and Dualtron alongside, of course, your your line of scooters? Like, again, there's been stories in the past, like Apollo and others who started selling third-party scooters and then, you know, started to make their own. You kind of have kind of gone about it in a, in a different direction. Um, yeah, just really curious how that, that works and what the, you know, what what's the long-term strategy there? Do you start to make your own dual motors or do you always have these partners and you're selling alongside? Uh, you know, you're selling it alongside vehicles that you don't actually make. So w- working with them is is generally good so far. We we have multilingual employees within our team where we can go after the warranty claims, after sales support, you know, technical support, how to repair certain issues. Because we we dissect all the products before it gets to us in the US. So on that side, it's easy for us. Um, there's already SOPs, processes already built up for those those stuff. Uh, in terms of long-term strategy, we, we still want to carry them. They are they are great products. I think customers should experience the different options that the best of the industry is offering. Yeah. And, and you're, I mean, you're moving a lot of scooters. I think people might be pretty surprised by how many scooters you're selling. Um, I think that number is in the tens of thousands of scooters. Is that fair to say? Yeah. But, uh, but I have to kill someone if anyone knows the numbers. <laughs> okay, no, don't kill me and don't kill any of our <laughs> listeners. So we can't give you the exact number. Um, but it's a it's a big number. It, what is the what is the most popular scooter in your lineup? I think there's quite a lot of popular scooters in our lineup. I think that's interesting about our portfolio is that there's no... I know there's a power, power law, right? 80-20 rule. But every single we pick so far has been very popular the cruiser the touring the roadrunner pro and the roadrunner has been taking a, a lot of waves this past year making a lot of waves the wolf king gt is also popular the new scooter that we brought in the emotion rs midnight has been also making waves so i would say all of them are popular yeah okay and then how do you think about clearly the scooter people think so much about a scooter and standing up um, but of course, what you've done with the move with the Roadrunner Pro <clears throat> and the Roadrunner V2, like the seated, the seated scooter, of course, that doesn't have pedals, has pegs. Um, I see it all around in Southern California. Um, I know the the ratings on it are are through the roof. People really like it. Um, 
what was your insight there in making a seated scooter like that? What did, what, 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 what did you see? What was the, what was the entrepreneurial instinct to, to go that route? Uh, of course, versus going the, the standing route, which is so popular in most scooter form factors. Yeah. So I think the interesting, the, the build up for Roadrunner was because I want to make a product for myself. So when I first moved to US, one of the first thing for foreigners is that you need a credit score to buy a car. It's super difficult to buy a car. I'm not sure if you ever had any friends that experienced this as a foreigner. So I was using the Fido seated electric scooter for my day-to-day commute. My, my legs are long. I'm a taller, taller guy. I'm a heavier guy. I need the speed. I need the range. I need the wider frame. So it was all built for myself to use because it makes sense. It's very clear at the time that this is the next product iteration that needs to happen in the seated scooter space. No, that okay. That makes that makes sense. You're coming off the video. In in terms of the specs, like give the audience the specs on the for the Roadrunner Pro. Like, what's top what's top speed on that thing? Oh, the Roadrunner Pro is going fifty miles per hour top speed. Fifty miles per hour. So where where do you ride it? There's, there's so much use case for it. There's so much use case for it. It's not just about using 50 miles per hour. And I love our Roadrunner community. They are showing us how you can use the product. It's not just about going fast. A lot of areas that people live in in the US are going uphill, steep hills, San Francisco, right? You need that kind of power. It's that, that doesn't mean that you're going 50 miles per hour. You might be a 280 pounds person. You just need to go uphill for 20 miles per hour. Okay. And what, in terms of the, the use cases, like, are you seeing, uh, I know there's some channels on YouTube I've noticed with the people, uh, using the Rotor Pro for deliveries and stuff. Is, is that a big market for you? Like deliveries and delivery drivers, or is it more fun recreational or is it, is it commuting? What, what are the, what are the major use cases? Uh, that definitely delivery is one of the segment, but there's also a lot of people um, if you if you check out this YouTube channel called Electric Scooter Academy, Yogi Steve, he's using the scooter every day and he's showing people and educating the public that, hey, there's an alternative for you to make money without driving a car. So you can do DoorDash, Uber Eats using the Roadrunner and you can get from point A to point B throughout your whole day. Your cost of electricity is a penny, you know, so I think those are great use case but not driving factors and reasons why people buy the Roadrunner in the first place. They see that and okay, I can have this as my day-to-day commute, but at the same time make money. Yeah, uh, so shout out to Electric Scooter Academy, Yogi Steve. So he, just to, to reiterate there, he's he's using a lot of your vehicles uh, for DoorDash and other types of deliveries and, and kind of do- he documents the entire, the routes and everything. Hey, you know, it's got a community around it. How did you get connected with him? Like, of course, so many... So many of the strategies uh, involve for you involve like you know connecting with influencers. How did how did you and uh, Yogi Steve connect? Yeah, I think that's that's a long story there. But um, Yogi Steve created a Roadrunner community that he was the first one that made the group on Facebook for like-minded people who has the Roadrunner to join the group. Hey, show us your mods. I want to see what you are building on your scooter. And he just let he let the group run by itself for a while. And over time it starts to gain traction. So Yogi Steve plays a big part in managing their group, keeping uh making sure that the community stays very helpful and help 
everyone, p- pretty much all the questions that people have around the roadrunner has been answered in that book. Yeah, you, this is another thing I've heard a lot as as a trend line. I heard the same thing for Electric and the importance of their Facebook groups. Um, where are your? Where is your? You do a lot with customer support. We'll get. It, I want to talk a little bit about that. But where are your largest communities? Are they on YouTube? Are they on Facebook? Are they on your website? Like, where would you find the largest uh, Vora Motors community on the internet today? Yeah, so I think YouTube and Facebook is definitely a big, big part of the community. I think generally, first impression of someone using electric scooter is a younger demographic, but it's not true. Most people that buy the scooters and the e-bikes are on the older side. They're all mature. So they are using all mature content and they're consuming this kind of content in different channels. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah. Well, uh, Levi calls it the the silver tsunami of like yeah. The, the, their their biggest buyer, for instance, with electric is, of course, like a literally a sixty plus year old. Is that is that the case with with you guys? Would you say like what what do you think the average age is of the, of a buyer of a Vorwater? Yeah, we we have it between around thirty to fifty, this range. Wow, that's that's incredible. That's really interesting. I agree. I think the, the misconception is that it's like a, it's teenagers. Or maybe, you know, uh, guys that are in their early 20s. But um, that's definitely a different answer than that. Yeah, there's definitely different demographic for different products we carry because they all have different use case. We have a lot of customers in the 60s too, which sometimes I talk to them as well. They ride it together as a family and ride it around Hawaii Islands. Amazing. Yeah, okay. That And I've seen some of your, your videos in Hawaii. Let's talk about your videos really quickly. So... You've got um, a portfolio of over 300 videos. Um, you have 24-7 customer support. Uh, you have the ability to call in and sort of have a FaceTime call with with one of your support agents and in, in diagnosing issues and fixing issues. Um, I guess the first question is, how do you get to 300 videos? Like, I, you know, that's, I know a lot of brands and of course a lot of brands make video content, but 300 is, is exceptional. So, um, what was your foresight there? Why did you decide on a video? And how do you how do you make 300 videos? Um, how do you just go about doing that? Yeah, I think it's a, making videos is a customer-driven approach. So a lot of customers in the early days, we were the first guys that made so many video tutorials on the internet, right? So a lot of customers are messaging us, hey, I just want to change my brake pads. Can I not send my whole scooter back in? Just show me step-by-step how to do it. And okay, sure, you start making that. Then they start to have more and more demand. Hey, we have a lot of comments. Can you show me how to tune my brakes? Can you show me how to change the LCD display? And we start building them over time. And 300 over videos is an effort and testament to show you, show customers that we build this over time. You know, this, this took us four years to build the entire library. Yeah. How many videos do you shoot a month? We, we have in our pipeline. So right now it's way faster. We have a video team in the factory to help us film some basic content needed. So we can shoot about 30 plus videos quick a month, but editing and post-production probably, I think eight, eight good content a month. Gotcha. And so in that on the, on the servicing front, um, so I buy, whether I buy an e-move or I buy a, a Cabo or Dualtron, um, and I have issues with them, you're covering the warranties. Um, and then are you, are people sending them back to your shops in LA or New York or Hawaii, or are they going to local repair shops at like scooters? What's the, 
what's the customer service look like when there is an issue that can't be resolved uh, online, but there's, you know, someone needs to actually get it back to you and get it fixed. Yeah, so I think for the most part, scooters can be fixed um, remotely. But let's say if there's a very difficult issue, we usually have a shop around two hours from where you are. And we, we are still in the process of signing up more partners on the servicing side if any audience in a micro-mobility space wants to hit us up. We have a website that you can apply. The, the last option is always sending you a box, making sure everything is prepared for you. You pack it in, send it back to us to, to repair it for you. Okay. And how often is that the use case? Like of all issues like that go through your, you know, your support channels, how often does someone have to ship a, a vehicle back to you? Like what percentage of support inquiries require shipping it back to you? It's, it's not that much. It's not that much. So recently, we just run the numbers. I think we, we are somewhere around like, of all the support cases, probably 5% needs to send it back to us. Okay. That's great. And um, on the on your demand, so, you know, we spoke about COVID and I think, I assume what happened for you, like we saw with a lot of uh, providers, you saw quite a quite an explosion during COVID. Um, coming out of COVID, we've seen a lot of uh, a lot of companies struggle it, although some are now we covered that a lot of like in America, some companies are still are still quite healthy, I um, mean, and still growing. Uh, how are, how are your sales trending year over year? So we're almost at the end of twenty twenty three here. We just got through Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Um, how do you feel about your sales compared to uh, a year ago? Oh, uh, we we are still growing, so it is very exciting to see how we enter twenty twenty four. We are still growing at a good pace. And I think through COVID, um, there's the entire industry has a false positive growth. So I think it's it's good that we we are still growing. That means the entire industry is still is still pretty rel- relatively growing at a good pace. And how are you still growing when the industry is not like what do you what do you, what do you think that is a what's that a testament to? Is it are you lowering prices or you have more modes? Like what what allows you to still grow when others aren't? I think reputation is key. Reputation is key in our space. Um, we we have proven to be durable in terms of providing you the support, even though times are tough. Example, like during peak periods, this is when everybody get shit faced, right? All the companies start to block off their phone lines, not answer emails. We still have that level of response. May or may not solve your issue. We we are still getting there. We are always improving. But we have never stopped picking up the phones. Reduce. We have never reduced the amount. Um, we have never taken a longer time to pick up your phone calls or respond to your emails. It's still within the SLA of one business day. You know things of those nature. Yep. Okay. That's that, that's fantastic. If you could, so given you have retail experience and even uh, distribution experience, like if you could only choose one, would you rather be a would you rather sell through retail and be a retailer or would you rather sell through DTC? Like what is more important to you ultimately from a channel perspective? Um, if it's whatever that is, if it's on coming from a personal standpoint, retail is super easy to do. It's easy. Your expenses, okay, it's quite high, but it's not as high of what we are doing. So in terms of easy, I'll pick retail. But because... I'm a sucker for pressure and I want things to go hard. I think D2C is the channel to go, but it's not for everyone. 
is a bloodbath out there for me to see. Um, I think don't even try kind of at this stage because there's a lot of players that are burning so much cash in a D2C space. Yeah. Um, in terms of, uh, if I, we were to look five years out, let's say it's 2028, 20, um, and I go, I go to voramotors.com, am I going to see you selling more, uh, more or more partners like dual trial and, and, and motion, or will I see you selling more of your own brands, more e-move? And potentially the second part of that question is, will I see you selling more types of modes, not just scooters, but potentially e-bikes, motorcycles, um, one wheels, et cetera. Like, I'm just curious there. Do you think you're going to branch out and have more scooters under your umbrella and be, you know, the, the Costco of, or the, you know, the, the best buy of scooters, or will you be more of your own Aura Motors e-move brands where you're, you know, you're manufacturing and selling your own, your own brand more, more exclusively? Yeah, definitely not the Costco of scooters. I think best buy is better. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, we have real service and support. We, we want to position ourselves in the as a world best retail store for online for electric scooters. But never say never, right? We don't know what, what's going to happen five years from now. Um, so to answer your question, in the next one year, two years, you will see just scooters too. We might have certain pivots along the way, but we will not dive, not go too far away from what we are good at. And we do not want to get too many products. There's too much skills. Like Segway has way too much SKUs. So that's not where we want to go. Okay. How about with your customers with like, again, with the Roadrunner Pro going 50 miles per hour, let's say, and they're like, hey, why don't you make a motorcycle something I can take on the, the highway? Like, do you see that happening anytime soon? Yeah, I think it's something that we, we, we are thinking of intentionally whether we want to go the Roadrunner Pro Max route, you know, where it becomes much bigger form factor and we register with DMV for you to ride on the highway. So it's something that we are thinking about, but we want to really look at what customers want in the next one year to see if this is a project worth taking on. Let's let's end on regulation, which I think is a really important thing. Clearly, we talk, we talk a lot about regulation. That was a big uh, point of uh, conversation at Microvideo America. We had the you know, US DOT, we had the um, FIMSA, which is the pipeline of hazardous material. We had the Consumer uh, Safety and Protection Commission, Product Safety Commission, CPSC. Um, and there is definitely, you know, the overall theme was there's more regulation coming in the US. You are literally one of the only entrepreneurs I know where your company was effectively killed by your local government. Um, you come to America now where, again, you're seeing some regulation starting to happen. Some of it, of course, is good, but you know, some of it's starting to happen. What fears do you have about regulation in the micromobility space around scooters and other form factors um, of small electric vehicles? And you know, how, how are you staying ahead of it? And I'd be curious in your, 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 your observations and your concerns. So throughout the experience leading up to the ban in Singapore, what I found is that once there's a regulation for electric scooter, the industry expands even more because now there's no gray area. It's legal and you know where you can write and how you can write. So the industry keeps growing when there's regulations. And that's, that's how I see it. But in America, one of the driving reasons I came here is that if you can buy a gun from a shop, you can use a gun, you can use an electric scooter. It's not going to get bad. 
make freedom rain. rain. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, okay. So I like what you're saying here. So even someone like yourself who's seen the downsides of regulation, I think what I hear you say is regulation frameworks can really expand markets because capital investors, everyone can, un, when there's no gray area, it's much easier to make bets. It's much easier to know what the laws are. And it's, it's fairly binary. I'm either breaking the law or I'm not there. And so that helps me build better products. That helps me get more capital investment. It helps the consumer understand I'm going to buy something that's legal. I love that. In the construct of sometimes regulation goes too far and kills me, i.e. what happened in, in your native country, um, you're saying in America that won't happen because you can do a lot more in America and they won't, they'll never get to the, the, the insanity of banning it because like we can, we can buy guns, we can do all these other things um, and we should be able to ride scooters because like that's a perfectly acceptable mode of transportation. In, in, in the United States, in the world too, but in the United States. So I think that's what I'm hearing you say. You're, you're making that bet that, that this will never get bad. Yeah, correct. It's not a bet per se. If you look at the history of products that gets regulated in the US, there's never a hard ban on something, right? There's a ban of chewing gum in Singapore. Everybody knows that. And that's just how the culture is. And that's fine. Um, it's different country, different culture, different demographic. So scooters will be fine here and I think people can enjoy it. And one thing that I really like about Americans here is that there's a sense of responsibility that when you are using such a high-speed scooter, you better get gear up, wear your helmets, wear your whatever protection you need. And people are more responsible on that sense. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. So in terms of your expansion plans, clearly you're here in the US, um, you know, do you plan to sell your scooters all over the world? Clearly not in Singapore, but um, in other countries as well, or are you really focused on the US? So we, we are really focused on the US. Our doors are always open for different countries' expansion. If there's anyone that wants to reach out to us and wants to expand their country and we can help fuel that growth, I think that will be exciting for us. But in the near term, our focus is in the US. Great. And in, ter in terms of being the number one seller of scooters in the US, like, do you think you're there? If you're not there, when do you think you'll be the number one scooter seller in the US? I, th I think we, we have never looked at it in a way that to be number one, what does number one really mean? Does it mean anything to the customer? We, we don't care about those kind of ranking. We, we care more about, okay, what do you want? Like, what does the customers want? Are you enjoying our product? If you don't have our product, how much? Will it affect your, your life? You know, if your day-to-day -day commute depends on this product, okay, then we have done something good. Being number one, whatever, don't really matter to us. That's a good answer. I like that answer. Um, and but I also know you do you do ship a lot of scooters though. So at some point you might be number one, Mel, and you're just gonna have to you just have to take the belt and the title and, and roll with it if that uh, if that time comes. Um, yeah, and if the belt comes from Michael Mobility, we we won that belt. <laughs> That's true. You're up for you are up. You made the quarterfinals for uh, Riders Choice Awards for I think for retail sales and maintenance and for your scooters. So, any thank shout you, out to anyone you. out there uh, in your community to vote for you guys for the Riders Choice Awards, um, which we'll announce in January. A um, good plug, uh, Melvin. Awesome. I'm on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Well, Melvin, thank you so much for joining me today. I, I'm really glad we had a chance to 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 talk. I think you're, you know, you're you're you're. Um, movement from from singapore we're, we're honored to have you here in america of course in los angeles uh doing what you're doing you're, it's a fantastic journey that you're on 
Um, for anyone at home, check out voramotors.com for, again, some of the most, uh, a, a beautiful portfolio of scooters, both standard and seated. Um, and I think you got a ride for almost everyone out there. So yeah, Melvin, thanks for joining us on Ride On and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you, James. Thanks for having me.